welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, I'm uh, I'm Nate Larkin here in Tennessee, joined as always by the maestro Aaron Porter uh, out there on the left coast. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing well. I'm in, enjoying some uh, almost autumn weather, which has been such a nice break. So uh, yesterday was lovely. We we were pretty oppressed there for a few weeks. Oh, I know. I know. You just had awful weather. Um, and we actually have, a, a, you know, a beautiful day today. We finally got a break from the rain, the rain that you guys haven't been getting. That's been our cross to bear here for some of the summer. Anyway, so much for the weather. No, I, and I, I feel bad. There's There's relational aspects to this. I finally had some friends visit and they came to the hot weather. So, yeah. I was, I was, you know, when people come, you want them to get the best version. Yeah. But it was, it's dry heat. They said it was better. And they could always oh. go to the beach where it was like 65 or cold. Microclimates are not a thing where you're from. No, not at all. Not at all. So we are starting a new series. I'm super excited. <laughs> I've been... Uh, wanting to do this for a long time. Uh, it's going to be three parts, and I, I hope uh, you, our listeners, will enjoy the, the possible awkwardness. Nate and I uh, have something in common. We are both men. We are both male, white, and straight. Uh, the men and male kind of go together. You can Push those together if you like. We are straight white men. And in our culture, more and more, I hear dialogues and conversations and debates and arguments about privilege, straight privilege, white privilege, male privilege. And I have found that uh, I get immediately defensive and start forming arguments in my head about how, hey, I don't have it so easy. Don't tell me I'm privileged. Look at these hard things, which immediately keeps me from hearing what the other person is actually saying. So we are going to talk with some black friends, some lady friends, and some gay friends over the next three weeks, trying to understand what in the world I'm missing when it comes to my privilege. And uh, you know what? This is a, this is an ambitious uh, and uh, a courageous project, Aaron. Uh, this is not a series that I would have just you know dreamt up. But you're you're kind of that guy, always kind of pushing the envelope. Um, and I'm, I'm just I'm just curious more than courageous. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. You you muted I'm, me. I muted. I was trying to mute me, and I muted you. I was trying to mute the weed eater that's going on outside my office right now. Uh, and you can stay tuned to next week's episode, where uh, Nate will have an outburst over the same weed eater. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, it's it's a pretty long interview. I kind of want to jump in, uh, unless you have some other things to add, Nate. No, I don't. Let's go. Let's go straight to it. Okay. And I just want to remind again, the listeners, we are here to listen, not to debate. So you might find yourself forming arguments against what they're saying or things you would want to add. And uh, just just take this time to practice listening. Try to turn the volume down on your own thoughts and just hear. And we will get into that in just a moment on the 
Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, we are back on the Pirate Monk podcast with a very special guest and uh, what I think is probably an unprecedented conversation here on the podcast. Uh, Aaron, you and our guests go way back, don't you? Yes. So we have Pastor Kujanga Jackson from Tulsa, Oklahoma here. And and, uh, I don't even remember when you came to San Luis Obispo and I noticed you sitting in the front row with your bride. <laughs> right. And, you know, um, it might be that you were the only black person in the room that made me notice you from the grand Absolutely. piano. Absolutely. So, I I don't know. Could have been something else. <laughs> it it could have. 1998. That was that year I walked in there and that was, that was actually my first experience uh, in a church that was not uh, all black, actually. So I had just gotten married and, you know, with my wife being white, she what I let her pick a church and we came to FBC. Wow. Yeah. So then Kajanga became a youth leader, uh, smashed a kid's nose on his first. <laughs> I did. He did. <laughs> but we got to meet Bobby's mother that night. Uh, yes. So it was good. It's just just something about putting a, a college football player in yeah. with a bunch of high schoolers when he doesn't yet know. <laughs> right. Straight arming a dude on a kickoff on the first kickoff isn't the way to go. So yeah, from 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 there we were thick as thieves. Exactly, exactly. That's funny. That's awesome. So we also have Mondo here today. We don't need to introduce Mondo, but Mondo is here because uh, he has talked about this before, some but not as specifically. So the the reason I think Jenga is the perfect guy to be in on this conversation with us is that he chose to leave California where he grew up and move to his wife's home state of Oklahoma and plant a church right on the racial divide of Tulsa uh, with the goal of bringing communities together. And that was how many years ago? Like That's been 2006, so now 12 years. Wow. <clears throat> That's crazy. Yeah. Time wow. flies. So today, what Nate and I are seeking to do is understand as uh, privileged white men, and and I'm only saying that sort of tongue-in-cheek because I think we are probably privileged white men, but uh, Nate, what, what reaction do you have when you hear that phrase? Oh, I get defensive, immediately defensive, uh, I, I, until I stop and think about it. Uh, because, you know, I grew up, you know, a poor white kid, uh, and, and I always felt like there other people were privileged and I was underprivileged and, uh, and certainly I wasn't racist in any way. Um, so yeah. See, even, even you saying that I'm going to start there. I know people that if you said I'm not racist in any way, they would say, well, you just don't know how you're racist. If right. we dig around, we can figure out how you're racist, Nate. So, Mondo, Chitanga, <laughs> explain yeah. how Nate's racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. Well, are we all racist? That's the question. So, That's the so question. For, 
first, first, I think there, that, that brings up a very uh, valid point, but because I think when we talk about white privilege and we talk about racism, they're not necessarily, from my perspective and my vantage point, the same thing. Okay. Um, and, I think, and I think that's part of the issue. I think part of the issue is when someone hears the term white privilege, they instantly think that there's an implication that there's some undertone of racism that wow. exists. And that's not actually what's being communicated because white privilege um, is not anything that a white person necessarily does, creates, or enjoys on purpose. But the word brings this negative connotation field, which, which makes people begin to justify, well, no, I've got black friends, I love everybody. But So I think we need to first start off and say, okay, let's define white privilege, because I believe, as we, even as we go further into discourse, you'll discover that the, you know, institutional racism and, and just a lot of racism in general is a totally separate issue. Yeah, we can. Absolutely. If we want to start there, I think that would be a you know a, a good a good launch pad. Okay, define yeah, the terms, you guys. Okay. Right. Well, I think oh, to you to your point, Kajanga, I think that um, white privilege is not a personal decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's uh, it's more of an an environment uh, or circumstance or. Uh, the the environment around you has created a white privilege. Yeah, right? it it is not a personal decision. Racism, however, right, <laughs> is right. a personal decision. Right. So right. so so if when I when I hear you, you know, you say you get defensive, or or you know, it's it's not like I think you're you're a racist. Right. Okay. You know. Yeah. And so I think there's a like, I agree with your distinction there, Kajenga. Is that's important to understand. Right. Um, and because a lot of people mesh it together, you you say white, all of a sudden racial. Like you're like, hold on, time out. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> so when when somebody invokes that phrase white privilege, like mm-hmm. some of them, I feel like are seeing it as negative, like yeah. throwing it out as a negative thing. Yeah. So what percentage? Because you know, again, you two are speaking for every black person in America. <laughs> exactly. Of course. Exactly what percentage of people are feeling like they're throwing it at you as an accusation versus those that are seeing it as you guys are talking about it? That's a tough one. I think that's a tough one to quantify because I think um, people's upbringing, background, um, their worldview is going to determine how they do that. Because I would say, honestly, I know that even when when I'm in uh, in conversations with other other black people, you know, I've had to clarify for them and say, look, okay, when you... You started off saying this term, but what you're talking about isn't lining up with the term that you used. Okay, so I think right. there's even I think there hasn't been enough conversation around this topic to actually make the distinction because I think if if we had communication like this around this topic, I think everybody would take take a step back and take a deep breath and say, okay, this is not an accusatory thing because white privilege. Here's what it, here, look, here's some basic examples. If I were if I were to cut my finger and go to the school and go to the first aid office to get a Band-Aid and I put that Band-Aid on my finger and it's going to be a natural skin tone, it's going to be a natural skin tone that matches someone of a lighter shade, mm-hmm. right? Right. If I go to a hotel and I sure. stay and they provide soap and shampoo, the shampoo that they use is going to be made for a certain type of hair texture. Right. <laughs> okay. Pause. Pause here, Kajenga, because obviously you just you had to teach me about this. <laughs> right. Right. White, white people listening, there are specific African American hair products well, well, that you right. probably haven't noticed uh, an entire section of an aisle in Walmart or Target. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, that's what Kajenga is talking about. Right. right. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so you, you know, again, if you even 
purchasing travel size products to go. It's all geared. And again, it's not racist. This no. is a societal norm. When we go to present the gospel on missions trips and we go talk about Jesus and the disciples and we show the pictures, what do we do? Do we present people that has a, have a darker skin tone or do we show something right. that is white? And so when we talk about white privilege, we're talking about it's not something that anybody's necessarily doing, but it's just this undertone of how the great country that we live in. We talk about the foundation of our country. We talk about the founding fathers. And when you look at the Washington Monument, you look at all this stuff, everything comes through a white lens. Even though in the history of our country, it was built upon the backs of minorities, be it Native American, be it black slaves or whatever. It's just this connotation of that people have forgotten that the things that we take for granted every day, that everything is is. It, it comes to that lens, and and to a certain extent, it has to because again, in societal, who, who's spending most of the money now? African Americans right. have a huge buying power, but by and large, I mean, when you look at okay, who are we going to cater to? Well, you know, by and large, it's just the awareness that things are catered to more a, a, of an angle perspective than uh, than other minorities. And so, some people might see that and be hurt and offended, whereas other people just see it and go, "Yep, I get." Right. I get how that came to be. So right. I guess right. that would be the person that's more accusatory versus someone that's just stating it. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there, there's some, we talk about how some other people process this, right? Um, you know, I know black people that process it both ways uh, in a positive or maybe I won't say indifferent way, not positive, but indifferent way. And some view it in a very negative way. Okay. The negative way we know what that means. You, you view white privilege as racism, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Others that I that I know that are indifferent to this, they understand that's just the reality of all the, the country we live in. It's no different than me going to China and saying, well, well, I'm getting pissed off because over there there's there's Chinese privilege. Well, hello, they're the I mean, they're <laughs> they have they're the ones that they have the lenses. Everything is like you said, Kajanga, is is created through those lenses, is viewed through those lenses, is is catered to the majority. And so if I'm to go there, it is not fair to me to go there and say, well, there's Chinese privilege here and get all upset about it. Right. Okay? The, the, difference, the difference, though, and, and the part that I feel just from that example is a good example or those examples were good mm-hmm. is you're not going to a foreign country. Right. You're here. Right. This is your country. Right. And that's yes. happening. And so I can see why that could cause some. Yeah. And there's some people I know that look at it like, look, man. We all have our have our lane, okay? There are some lanes in life that are maybe are a little bit more fortunate because your lane is was created with those who created our country, who started our country, okay? Their, their lens is their view, like the shampoo situation at the hotels or the products and different, okay. Uh, there are some people that say, you know what, that's okay. Now, I understand that reality. However, there is another reality over here in this lane. Now, it's come a long way over history and it's excelling and it's, somewhat catching up to some degree, but, but you, it's always going to be that somewhere in my mind. Some people I know that are very, they're just very indifferent to it. They, they, they don't get bent out of shape about it. They don't view it as a racial concept. It just, it's just the reality we live in and that's okay. And they learn how to navigate around those so-called white privileges. Um, I live it every day. You live it every day, Kajanga in my workplace. Here, here's an here's an example. Okay, so um, I have an insurance agency. Okay, I have white agents, and here's a very real topic that is discussed weekly. 
Mondo, please don't send me to the country because there's certain things out there I just can't get done. Now, this is a black gentleman telling me this. Okay. The white agent will tell me, send me anywhere in the state. The black agent, I can't, don't, don't send me out here because of the, the, the environment out here. It's, it's more in line with Thomas, the, the white agent. The white agent has the privilege of going anywhere in the state and having success. Including black neighborhoods. Including black neighborhoods. However, the black agent does not have the same privilege. Now, how much of that is reality and how much of that is built into his? We're now talking about your employees on a podcast. Sure. Fantastic. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, man, I, I would tell you that you can't generalize and say that's foolproof, but I will tell you, this, this is pretty accurate, man. I, I, this is pretty accurate. There's a particular person, I'm thinking about a black woman, uh, who called me a couple weeks ago. She is having the hard, hardest time. She is a fantastic producer. She normally works in urban areas. Okay. However, we've had her out in the country, the boot hill of Missouri, which is very rural and country and all that. She cannot get in houses. She 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 had the cops called on her because they she <laughs> all kind of things that have happened. Um, there's people can't relate to her. Mm-hmm. There's all these kind of different things that there's no one around that looks like her. It's all these now. There's racism, obviously. You can make all these different things up, but you, I can send a, in a white agent, Steve, there or whoever, and guess what? They don't have a problem. I can send Steve to the hood. He doesn't have a problem. It's so it's fascinating where. Uh, this this agent, especially the, the black lady, she's just like, you know what? It is what it is. I'll get what I can get from this area. But I know what I can really be successful is over here. I can have some success over here. Maybe not the same as over here. It's not like it's a like a like 100% success, no success here, right? So she's, she's looking at it kind of indifferent. Like, you know what? It is what it is. I'll get what I can get out of it, but I will go over here. My white agents are like, I'll go anywhere I want. So... And we've talked about this in our meetings. Like, what is that? Like, what is that? Why is it that you can go anywhere and have success and you cannot? What is that? You so know, how, how do you it, guys see white privilege playing out in the church where there's supposed to be no Jew or Gentile or Greek or man or woman that we're one in Christ? Wow. Don't get yeah. me on my soapbox. How much time do you got? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, ha- having uh, come to, to Tulsa, where we have the 1921 race riots, you know, which a lot of people in the United right. States don't even know the history that that was mm-hmm. the largest race riots in U.S. history. Yeah. Uh, where the first original Wall Street, the Black Wall Street, was here. Um, mm-hmm. And if you discover the history of that, you know, when we, we are planning our church right in the middle of where that race riot broke out. Wow. And so when we first came here, um, you know, and, and God gave me the call to plant a church and I was praying and looking for a location and he showed me the location. You know, I had, um, I had so many people tell me it would not work because, uh, Tulsa is, is by, by in every, every word segregated. I mean, I would say 90 to 95% of our African-American population lives in North Tulsa and it is the more socially, economically depressed and repressed uh, environment as compared to South Tulsa, which is flourishing. We've got Amazon coming in. We've got all these great things, but then you have this other demographic. And we, we put the church on the line, on the, uh, on the white side of the line. And I had every white pastor that I met when I came here told me, they said, they said, you messed up and you will not make it. 
And they said, um, you won't make it. They said, because you will not be able to get black people to cross. We had a natural barrier. There was a, there's a freeway that's like the natural barrier. It's like the, the railroad tracks, right? Right, right, yeah. right. right, right. Uh, not going to cross the tracks, even though it's literally four blocks. They're not going to cross the tracks uh, to come to church. And so, um, you, Aaron, you know me very well. That that wasn't, don't tell me we're, that, that God <laughs> is big enough, because I'm like, okay, well, what, let's see, what, let, let me show you what God can do if we're willing. Um, I, I think the reality is it requires intentionality in the church. I don't think the church uh, in, in large, by and large, has been intentional. And I think part of that is just church history. You know, the homogeneous church was, you know, we went through that age. And so we wanted to reproduce churches that all looked alike. And you wanted, you know, especially in the Baptist realm, they wanted, if you had a Hispanic, you know, they wanted you to have a Hispanic church. They wanted you to have an Asian church. They wanted you to have, a, you know, you have an Anglo church, you had the black churches. And so we propagated even church planning in a homogeneous uh, fashion. And um, I think the tide is changing because you have an entire generation that's growing up in a country that is more culturally diverse than 30 years ago. And so there, you know, when the schools are more diverse than the church and and now you have a generation of people that are recognized now, the church is now being forced to rethink itself and rethink how do we how do we cater to society at at large and how do we embrace all people from all backgrounds? Because it's not just a black and white thing. I mean, that's the, that's why this white privilege conversation needs to happen is because we do have a larger Hispanic population. We do have a larger Asian population. We do have a lot of larger immigrant population. We have all these people coming in to the country and they're now here. And so it's like, okay, America, we're going to have to rethink, we're going to have to rethink the lens by which this country operates because it's now the majority is fastly shrinking. Mm-hmm. And and I think I don't know the exact statistics, but I do know that from a from a demographic perspective, if you look at projections, uh, the Anglo majority will become the minority. And I'm sure we could Google it and find it. And, and I would say within I mean, easily within the next 50 years. And so the church, um, I believe, has to begin to to correct what the church did that was sinful in the first place. Um, I understand when there's a cultural barrier. If you don't speak English and I don't speak your language, it's going to be a little bit difficult to worship in the same space. Um, at the same time, there's the, the reality of uh, socioeconomic dividing lines. When the, when the communities have to been divided racially and socioeconomically, churches that, you know, that are birthed and propagated in those areas obviously represent um, the community at large. And so if a church is birthed in a 90% black area, it's going to be a 90% black church. But I think that the gospel compels the church to say, you know what? We have to um, not just be homogeneous and reach our own, our, our own people, but we've got to be able to embrace and show people what the kingdom of heaven is going to look like. And that's going to mean that we step outside of our borders and boundaries and say, I'm going to intentionally go to South Tulsa, which is what we do to bring in white people. We go to East Tulsa, the reach Hispanic folks. We have a culturally diverse community around us, but we're going into North Tulsa. We're being very intentional about saying this gospel is for everybody. And this gospel unifies us together. And that's, that's the message of what Christ did when he brought reconciliation. It wasn't just vertically, but it was horizontally. So here's, here's the most controversial statement of the morning. What you're kind of saying is we have to be purpose-driven churches in the original way that Rick Warren meant it, which is think through how this experience feels to someone not like you and make sure that you have provided bridges into your community that suit those backgrounds and those cultures. Because we're talking about culture. Like there, uh, right. th- this, this conversation 
hits like a brick wall so often when we're not allowed to acknowledge there are different cultures. Sure. I mean, when, when I was living in Hawthorne, remember when I took you over there at Kajenga yeah. <laughs> to my old yeah. apartment, yeah. that was a completely different culture. It wasn't better or worse or any of those qualitative things, but living in a black neighborhood, just stylistically, how people rolled in so many ways was mm-hmm. different. Right. And so to be sensitive to that, I mean, is is that really practically what we have to do? Is that what you're talking about? Well, yeah, and I th- I, I think it was validated. There was an article that came out on Sunday, and I mean, not not by Barna or any Christian group or anything, but it was just talking about um, uh, why people don't go to church, and so it was completely from a secular perspective, and um, and it was crazy. Um, and interesting to find that a lot of the things that the church is focusing in on right now on why to drive people to church have, you know, really ranked in the lower sub 20 percentile of responses of why people aren't going. Um, um, but the the number the number one and two were tied around. Um, this was uh, this was, was interesting to me, but but uh, being able to get to church, get, being able to get to church, which I found interesting, which I was like, well, I'd really like to explore really more what that meant, but then also feeling welcome in the church. And so, you know, um, you know, I looked at, you know, I look at when we first moved here to Tulsa, I didn't know that North Tulsa existed my first year here. I just, I honest to goodness thought that there was no black people in Tulsa because I only saw a handful and I don't watch much television, so uh, the only time that you hear about North Tulsa is if it's about the violence and the gangs and the drugs and all that kind of stuff. So I was totally ignorant to that. Um, and so when we began to search, you know, searching for churches, it's like, okay, we're looking for a church that we can go in and feel welcome that actually will embrace us having biracial children, something that's not going to just cater to um, one homogeneous subset. And so it was very difficult to find. And ultimately, we couldn't find it. And, but it wasn't an excuse for me to say, well, since there's no church that really is going to cater to any of my needs, I'm not going to go. That, I mean, mm-hmm. I had enough spiritual grounding to say, you know what? Um, I know whom I'm called to serve. I know whom I'm called to worship. So let me find a place that I feel most at peace and let me learn to worship there. But I don't think that that is the vast majority of society. Right, I think... Right. Um, I think the vast majority of society is is looking for this environment that they can walk into and it's, it's like the smell of fresh coffee. If you guys like coffee, you know what it's like when you smell coffee. It's like you may not even be a coffee drinker, but when you smell the aroma, you're like, oh, that smells good. And and so I, I think as a culture and the and the, the, uh, the, the country is becoming more culturally diverse, that's what people are looking for in their church experience. Like when I walk in and I see different blends and different shades of brown from the lightest to the darkest. And I and and even stylistically with with music, it's not just embracing one thing, but it's 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 a representation of all things. Um, again, one body, many parts, all have their functions. Not dogging out or throwing stones at anyone, but I do think the church is the solution to handling this racially sensitive topic of white privilege and racism. If the church can't get it right, why in the world are we to think that the world is going to get it right? We can't if we don't fix it in the church first. Why are we going to think that you know anybody else in society? Why are we going to think that the police are going to be able to get it right? Why are we going to think that the schools are going to be able to get it right? right. The church has to set the example, in my perspective. Right. So, Mondo, 
if, you know, Kajanga's talking about, hey, have you ever noticed that all of the travel size products are white people products? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that at least two listeners are like, huh, I I didn't know that uh, bath products were racially separated out. This is <laughs> so if we are that clueless, and, and I do not feel bad admitting that I evidently am still that clueless even after all of the conversations I've had on this, I'm, I'm wondering how that solution that Kajang is talking about can ever happen when the people that need to make the change don't have any clue about the things they don't know because we don't know what we don't right. know. So how right. it, it, it's awareness. Exactly. You don't know what you don't know. So those who have the decision-making power, uh, there's an education that needs to happen, an awareness that needs to happen, uh, an inclusiveness that needs to happen. Okay. Um, you know, if you open your eyes, you can, you can see more diversity, you know, every year, you, it's, you know, communities are getting more and more diverse and, and to, you, you have to be very intentional. You, you have to be, it's intentional. You have to be willing to change. And that's one word that most people don't like. So what is, but what does that mean? The word intentionality yeah. practically mm-hmm. and, and try to think, cause you guys aren't easily offended, which is why you're here talking about right. this this morning. Right. Right. But if I'm if I'm a person saying, okay, I need to figure out what I don't know, there's probably ways I can go about that that would be offensive to a lot of people. So how how can I be intentional in a way that's good? I, I think it's a dialogue that one the church is responsible for for initiating. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, as believers, as as men and women, we are we have the responsibility to initiate those dialogues in private settings too. Um, it's healthy conversation. You know, people are easily offended by everything. You know, we're so sensitive to anything regarding around, you know, white privilege or race or this and that, you know, uh, kneeling and everything. Everything's, everything's racial. <laughs> so, but what it comes down to is it's a dialogue that has to happen. I had a healthy conversation with a friend of mine. Um, as a matter of fact, you know what, let me tell you about one conversation I had with Newton. Okay. 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 A couple of years ago, we had dinner. And I love this dialogue. He said, you know, you're one of the two minority friends that I have that I feel safe enough asking these questions to. I said, oh, shoot, here we go. I love <laughs> this. This is great. And he asked me those questions. What is it like to, to you know, to live in a culture, you know, uh, where, you know, you, you know, I don't know certain things. Like, what don't I know? What, what am I missing? What do you have to deal with that I don't have to deal with? Mm-hmm. he was asking me all these questions and I, and I asked him, so why are you asking me something? He said, cause I, I'm really, I want to look through your lenses. And I think that's a very selfless act for an individual for, for the church, especially to be able to look through the lenses of all people. Look through the lenses of all people and say, how do they view this? Okay. Cause Kanjanga is going to view it differently than Aaron and they right. different view it differently than than you know our Latin community over here or whatever. It, it's a, it's a very selfless thing. It's being observant and enough to know it's like okay, we've been doing it this way. We've got a wave of new types of people in here. How do they see what we do? How do they see what we provide? What what are their lenses? And it, it takes healthy dialogue. The problem I see people aren't asking questions. They make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This this is this is what I think they'll like. 
I think they'll like this. Watch, they'll like this. Uh oh, that's when there's extra fried chicken at the potluck, <laughs> and it's just now offensive and racist. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Aaron. It's, it's funny. We make we make joke, but it's. I was at a meeting yesterday, and um, there's uh, one of the more prominent uh, churches out in South Tulsa has come over to our neighborhood, and you know, we're in a food desert. There is no grocery store within five miles for, you know, for any of our residents. Wow. So we literally have to drive. Everybody has to drive uh, into another, you know, one of our other smaller cities to go grocery shopping. Well, they came in the grocery center that we did have, the supermarket that we had uh, was shut down. And so they came and bought the building. And, and so they bought the building and we were sitting, you know, they, they spent over a million dollars on it and they're going to put in a community center and they're going to bring in sports and, uh, they're going to bring in, and as they're going through this list, I'm just thinking the subtle undertones of unawareness, you're in a high minority environment and there is no sports leagues. Yes. But before we need a sports league, we need a grocery store, Mm -hmm. right? Yes, there's a bunch of little black kids here who could probably go and play professional sports, right? I'm not saying the intent of their heart was diabolical, was in, was right. anything, because they're coming and they're like, oh, wow, we, we just bought this grocery store just closed down. Uh, wow, we know there's no sports over here. Well, one thing, and, and again, it's, it's subtle. It's not intentional. Yep. Yeah. But it's like, wow, there's no sports over here and there's all these black kids. Let's build a sports complex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's the awareness it's the yeah. you know, it is the dialogue it's the conversation it's it's the by this they will know you're my disciples in the way that you love one another how do i love you unless i know you unless i have a relationship with you right right um and so it's right. the right. it's it's the uh people within the context of the the body of christ saying you know what i love you enough to to take off my lenses and to put on your lenses so teach me help right. me understand to help me understand that as a white woman, if I go into the drugstore to get some pantyhose and I need and, and I need and I get the nude color, that nude color is going to match a white complex, right? Because that is if there's all these subtle things that are not diabolical, but it's just this like the soap. There's all these things that that people, as more people of color, are rising up, and they're not. We're not in an, in an age of slavery anymore. We're not in the age of a, of um, of of systemic oppression, that's a whole nother conversation of how we view that. But but people aren't, you know, intentionally, I don't believe, I don't believe people are intentionally being oppressed. I do think there is some societal things that have happened as things have evolved that we haven't had dialogue about to dialogue about to be able to undo. Mm, and right. so uh, what, what's happened, what happens though is as this conversation comes up, much like we started, when when the phrase comes up because the word white is in front of it and the word privilege. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. emotion and they feel, they feel attacked. Right. And it probably is the reality is we probably need to come up with a better word. It's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't like the phrase yeah. black lives matter yeah. because there's a connotation. White people hear black right. lives matter. Exactly. Like, My life not matter. Yeah. So part of it is exactly. It's, it's the conversation <laughs> of saying, okay, it's bad branding. Yes. We need to get to some, some neutral yeah. language um, that we can dialogue about so right. that people can hear the intents of the heart and not the words that we say that are, that are uh, triggering our, our fleshly responses. So I, I have a question, but Kajanga, look at the time and tell me if you have to run. I will have to run here in about five minutes, but, but I'm Jeez. good for now. All right. Uh, we'll have to do, hey, next Friday, I'm open. <laughs> we each going to have the ongoing conversation. Yeah. Uh, 
okay. So sometimes in these conversations, when the history of oppression comes up, uh, since I was younger, especially when I was younger, I felt like people were asking me to take responsibility for past things that I had nothing to do with. And that pissed me off. Yeah. Uh, but there's the, the the thing that I came to that God really slapped me in the face with was number one, the entire gospel is built on Jesus taking responsibility for something he had nothing to do with. Amen. So uh, even even if I had nothing to do with uh, a deal, I still have a place of responsibility for the sake of healing. But I think that is an undercurrent beneath a lot of these conversations is don't tell me that I I did that. I didn't do that. So what what can people understand or how can they think about it differently so that it's more productive? Well, I think you just answered that. um, And I'll let somebody else speak to it, but I do think you just answered it because that's kind of what I've told my congregation. I said, do what Jesus did. Jesus took on responsibility for a lot of stuff that he didn't do. And I, and I, I do think um, that if, if everybody could be, more sensitive to everybody else's need. Like me as a, as a black man, I am, um, I am very sensitive to the fact of, I have a white wife. So we, we've, we've had conversations, right? And we can get as real and raw and honest. And so I'm very sensitive to how she feels about my, my being very impassioned about some of my perspectives and even my impassion in my impassioned state, how it makes her feel. So I have to back up and be like, okay, let me help you. Let me help you. Under, let me help you understand. And this isn't me saying that this is something that you've done, but I give her the, I've used this illustration. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing. If you scratch me um, and it's, you know, you, you pull it, it bleeds a little bit and you, you know, you, you take off some skin and, and you say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Forgive me. I'm like, yeah, I forgive you. You know, probably in about five or 10 minutes, I'm gonna move on because the sting is gone. If you break my arm, even if it was answered accidentally um, and you asked me to forgive you, I'm going to forgive you. But the whole time that I'm healing through that process of my arm being broken, I'm still going to be in that forgiveness process because I'm going to be reminded of the pain. I've forgiven you, but the pain is still there. So when you look at the history of our country and you look at how many years um, from native culture to black culture, to Hispanic culture, to all the different um, ethnicities that have been oppressed in this country, and how much time has has gone by since that has ceased? We're only talking. We're not talking that we are so far down the road, right? right. We're we're talking that we had hundreds of years of oppression and not even a century of healing from that. And so when we say that, okay, we, everybody just needs to forgive and move on. It's like a scratch versus a broken arm. The forgiveness has been granted, but the pain is still there because the healing is taking longer. It didn't heal like a scratch. It didn't, it was deeper than that, right? And so I think, I think just that, that sensitivity on both sides um, is, what, is what's gonna, what it's going to take to help, help move this thing along. Well, Kajanga, we'll, we'll talk some more. That was, the, awesome. that was the best illustration for that, but we don't want you to be yeah. late for the next meeting. So we'll, we'll keep Mondo around here to, to answer a little bit more, but mm-hmm. so that you don't have to sneak away in the middle. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you guys for having me, Mondo, Thanks, Nate, uh, Aaron. Uh, pleasure. Yeah, thank you guys. You, and anytime you guys want to have me back, I'd, I'd love to be here. All right. We'll All talk right. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll take see. Bye bye. Mondo, you want to add to uh, 
that question of that undercurrent of it's not my responsibility? Yeah, uh, that was really awesome what he said, man. And I, I think that how we communicate is important. Um, you know, Aaron, you did not, Nate, you did not do anything yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think when it's, when, it's, when it's put towards you guys, like it's, you have to take responsibility. It's not necessarily you have to take responsibility for something personally that you've done. The, the culture in the community that you are a part of has a history. Yeah. Okay. It's, and, but see, people don't, people don't unpack it that way. They just, they just hit you with, well, you need to take responsibility, Aaron. Look what you did. Well, it's not you, you didn't do anything. Yeah. It's, it's a community. It's a, it's a community that you're a part of has a history that has played out a certain way. And this, this particular community has affected my community this particular way in order for our communities to get an understanding, there's a responsibility that you have to take. I have to take to have a healthy conversation, to have a dialogue, to understand why, why is there this disconnect? It's to have the conversation that like Newton and I had, you know, to understand him. Mean, he asked a lot of these same questions. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's I think it's it's a fantastic dialogue to have. Unfortunately, though. I know a lot of minorities are uncomfortable having that conversation, which is why a lot of a lot of white guys and white ladies don't feel comfortable bringing those questions up. Right. OK, it's th- there's a lack of safety in these dialogues. Right. There's a lack of I don't know where I can ask, ask these questions. I really believe I really believe there's a, a lot of pe- a lot of white people that have the desire to learn a lot, a lot of desire to understand and put those lenses on. The unfortunate part is they they lack safety. They don't know where they can go and feel safe to ask these questions to acquire that perspective. In that education. And, and that's even a loving thing. Because when you say safe, they don't feel physically unsafe. They feel unsafe. No, no. They're not going to offend people. Yeah, that's what so, I mean. Yeah, so no, not physically. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, no, yeah. I, I totally understand. But I think that even speaks to those who do want to know more. It mm-hmm. it is it is built into the love piece that makes it even more complicated. Yeah. Because the only yeah, reason they want to ask is to be able to love and understand. So they don't want to offend yeah. while doing it. Because you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. And, and, and you're asking sometimes these questions that they, they may be broad, they may be mistargeted, they may. But but you're asking for for clarity on certain things on how do you see this? How how does this affect you? What are some things that I can do in my life that to me are no big deal, but to you may be more of a challenge? Oh, wow. OK. If you have that open dialogue, there's a selflessness that has to be in the room. There's a safety that has to be within that dialogue to know that. Okay, you're not going to be offended because I asked you, uh, you know, do you think I have white privilege? Oh, you do. Like you can't, you can't. There's people are so easily offended. Excuse me. So you have to, man. I, I think the church plays a big part in that. Um, but again, you know, with propaganda and with media and all that, it's kind of like this counter, right. these right. counter forces. You have one trying to heal and one adding fuel to the fire. <laughs> so right. there's this constant. Constant battle. Can I? I want to throw something out that sure. you and Kajanga both touched on, mm-hmm. but I want to get your perspective. This is kind of a default place I go okay. to. So when I lived in the inner city, I was 18, living with a black man who was 28 and a black man who was 32. 
and this was in the mid nineties. So it was right after Rodney King. Um, I, there was so much anger. Oh, it was also the year that, uh, affirmative action was repealed so there was there was a lot of anger within the community in los angeles yeah sure and i was so confused by that because i was raised in a country town far removed Mm -hmm. and so i'm like why so much anger and i didn't get it until i started realizing okay one you do have these hundreds of years of slavery sure but then after freedom was given to the slaves none of the benefits of that freedom were included. In fact, you know, freedom made a lot of people just destitute. They didn't have anywhere to right. go or things to right. do. Right. That's why a lot so, were trying to run back to the plantations. Right. Yeah. So you have yeah. A, yeah. a generation of people, which I think mm-hmm. was most, uh, when I think of Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois, they were mm-hmm. two sides of a coin. Now, this is me acting like way more than an expert, so I could be wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> Booker T. Washington's doing the Tuskegee Institute where he's saying, hey, we have to have skills to now assimilate into the culture. Yeah. Du Bois was very angry, like, dude, screw you. And I think the souls of black folks is something that everybody should read. But they were debating each other with Du Bois saying, look, I, I want I want more from a society that did this to us. So now there's a generation of people not getting those freedoms. The very next generation takes us through the civil rights where, again, there's anger and violence. And that goes up through the 60s. And so my roommates were the children of people that were still not getting the freedoms that were appropriate that were supposedly granted two generations ago. Now, my roommates hadn't experienced all of that. They had opportunity, Mm -hmm. but they still were carrying anger of their parents and grandparents who straight experienced it. Mm -hmm. And so I realized how, you know, if we take it to the late 60s, we're we're only like 50 years into this whole thing, right? 50, 60 years. And so when Kajenga talks about the broken arm, I think it's a lot closer. Yeah. Then that's great. Go ahead. Respond to that. Yeah, it is, man. It's a lot closer. Uh, uh, As you were speaking, I big round at 106. All right. Say that again. You got you got digitally messed uh, up here. Hold on. Say it again. You got digitally blurred. Oh, I did. Sorry. My my grandfather. Okay. So. Okay, so my grandfather, uh, I'm thinking about my great-grandfather. I'm going back some generations here. Mm-hmm. And to, to kind of display the uh, how the, the, the down-ramp of anger over generations. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's, it's the healing process of the broken arm. Over time, it gets better. The further you get away from it, the, 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 you're further away from the initial break, mm-hmm. right? So my great-grandfather, you know, uh, was a sharecropper. His, my great-great-grandparents were slaves. When you keep moving forward, you go to my grandfather. You know, he, he dealt with a whole lot, you know, being born in 1920s, right? Dealt with an, an, a tremendous amount. My parents born in the, in the late 40s and 50s, uh, myself in the 70s. I've noticed this trend of uh, they're not, each generation feels the sting at a, a different level of intensity and is usually lower. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's like the further we go along, I'm noticing that my relatives, they're not as bent out of shape or not. They don't 
have as much of the defensive racial lens as goggles on. I didn't experience the riots. I didn't experience, you know, 1968 riots in Detroit like my dad did. I didn't experience, you know, all these different things. Uh, I have experienced some things, but nothing compared to what my father, my grandfather, my great grandfather, my great great grandfather. Mm-hmm. I, I, the level of intensity of my experience. So, um, so, so imagine white privilege then, in their eyes, in my right. my family's eyes, versus now, completely mm-hmm. different ball game. Yeah, completely different ball game, and and so, I'm. I'm Notice that, um, you know, as as the generations go on, like I'm thinking about my children, you know, they're even further removed. They're going to deal with some things, but nothing compared to my father. Right. Mm -hmm. I think what's 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 happening is as we become more diverse, as conversations are developing, as the, the country becomes more diverse, as communities become more diverse, as the church becomes more diverse, as generations develop, you're going to continue to see the watering down of all this this racial heat. Now, will it be there to some degree? Yeah, because stupidity is always around. However, will it be such a prominent force in our country like it was 100 years ago? Mm -hmm. My guess is not. So for me, as a white Uh, person, though, I have to, (laughs) my initial reaction when I was living in that was, come on, get over this. This is done. That's the past. Right. Right. But when, when we understand... Again, it comes mm-hmm. to understanding more what you're saying, that right. you had conversations with grandparents and parents mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. Like, that's part of your what's in your mind because they fed right. it to you. And in some ways, they fed you their anger and hurt, which was justified. Right. So for right. me to understand that, maybe I can have less of the get over it mentality and more of the, yeah, man, that's yes. I can't even imagine. Well, here's, here's the funny thing, Aaron. You're probably going to be shocked to hear this guy. <laughs> that get over that get over it mentality. I've said that to black people. I have. I'm black. Okay. Here, here's why I said it. Not to not to say that there aren't any uh, that there's no racism in our country. That there's there's no white privilege. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's evolution. Things have evolved. Okay. There is more opportunity today than there was 50 years ago. In a hundred years ago, definitely a couple hundred years ago, okay? And instead of focusing on what you don't have and what they're getting, what do you have and what can you get? It's a, it's a victim mentality that I have found that some minorities take on. I have some, I have some cousins that are more like me in this regard. I have some cousins, same generation now. That think they think very much like my grandfather. Well, hold on, time out. How did that happen? It's because you get you get some people who they 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 get conditioned by the older generation. They get conditioned as if they grew up back then, mm-hmm. and they didn't. So they take on the same mindset. Then white people, white privilege, this and that, blah blah blah, negative, 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 negative. Okay, you know what? Yeah, there is some racism, there's some white privilege, and there's this and there's that and there's whatever. Guess what? But what do you have? Milk, take advantage of the opportunities you do have. All the movers and shakers from between slavery and now, all the minorities that took that uh, from that time to now, there are people in the minority group 
that have looked at their situation, regardless of how hot the racism was, some people made decisions to say, you know what, I know we don't have a lot, but what we do have, and, and what do we have? We have this. Okay, well, we're going to take this and we're going to make, we're going to rock it out. We don't have a lot, but we got this. The next generation comes along. Okay, well, that generation have this, this small amount. Okay, well, we've got a little bit more. So let's take that and let's rock that out. Now, we don't have everything we want, but we got this. And each generation is uh, is obtaining more opportunity, more research, uh, re- resources. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean that there's no racism. Doesn't mean that there's no white privilege. Absolutely not. But you can look at it. Can you, okay, so now say if in my generation there's a, a 80-20, you got 80% uh, opportunity and 20% you know, uh, roadblock, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can do a lot with the 80%, buddy. I'm proof of it. Mm-hmm. Back two generations ago, even maybe one generation ago, it may not have been 80-20. Maybe it was like 60-40. So, so this is your message to our our listeners who mm-hmm. are of a minority, mm-hmm. uh, and and the important difference is you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like this, but I think maybe it's. Uh, I think it is true. Mm-hmm. You get to have those conversations. You can say to your cousins, "Dude, get over it. Take what you've got and run that thing down the field." Yeah, I don't get to say that. It is not my place. For the person who's not over it, Nate and I need to be patient and listen and be compassionate, right? Am I wrong? I think that? that's the, I think that's the unfortunate truth, man. For a lot of people, to be honest with you, to be fair to that that assumption uh, and observation, I think I think well, yes. I, now with me, no. Okay, I think you I, see, it, it, but if, if you if as a minority, if you think a different way. Because basically what, the, what the, that get over it basically means this. It doesn't mean get over the past and just disregard it. It means nothing to no one. I know you're not saying that. Mm-hmm. But people take it that way. What you're, what I, when, I hear, when I hear you say that, I'm hearing you say, man, let's focus on the opportunity that no, you I- do have. I'm, I, meant so, it, I meant it in the bad way when I was young. I, I really <laughs> thought people should just I, I get know. over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but some people, they, stay, they, they, focus on, they focus on what's not versus right. what is. Yeah. What I don't have versus what I do have. And I think when, when the people in my generation, especially, when they get so bent out of shape, it, to me, it's, a, it's, it's justification in my mind. I know I, I, get, I get slayed all the time by black people when I say this kind of stuff because it's, it's my opinion, though. Don't don't look at what didn't happen and the white privilege and this and as an excuse not to move your ass. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, there are some realities, but you are not in shackles. Last I saw, the last I saw, you're not on a plantation. So there's some opportunity and think, yeah, some of these things suck. I know they do, but what do you have though? Do something with that, you know. So now I can say that. Can you and Nate say that? You should be able to. You should be able to. But I know a lot of people can't take it because then it flips over to a racist comment. Yeah. And and I think we have enough to work on in the uh, the loving and understanding area than trying yeah. to figure out. You'll you'll cover the other side. Nate, I feel like <laughs> you've been left out here. I know you've had a rough morning, but... Yeah. No, I'll I, I tell you what has helped me in this regard. A, a couple of weeks ago, I went down 
with Tom Mocha to speak at a big men's event in Southern Alabama, which uh, with some great guys. Uh, Tom made the comment early on that there it was a very white crowd. It was a very, very white crowd. Uh, and we were late. And the reason we were late is we stopped on the way in Birmingham because I wanted to go to the Civil Rights Museum. Love that museum. Amazing museum. Yeah. Now, that's actually my third visit to the museum. Yeah. It's hard for me to go through Birmingham and not stop. And this time I lost track of time. And uh, and I stayed there way I, I stayed there way too long and still didn't get all the way through it. They had to hunt me down. Yeah. Yeah. And And I came out. Uh, from the museum with kind of this mix of emotions. On the one hand, this kind of self-righteous anger at those cracker racists in the newsreels who were, uh, 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 I mean, and uh, and this, this self-righteousness, like I, I came out knowing I am not racist mm-hmm. and, and, and with this real anger at white racism. Uh, at the same time, I also came out with this knowledge. Uh, it, it, one of the displays is a black classroom, a school classroom in the 1950s and a white classroom mm-hmm. uh, during the sep- so-called separate but equal uh, segregation era. And I came out with the awareness that, yeah, I have worked hard and I've worked my way out of poverty, but it was a lot easier for me to do it than if I had been black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's a humbling thing, because I just want to take all the credit for what I've accomplished. Yeah. I don't I don't want to even admit that there was a wind at my back. Yeah. But yeah. there was. Yeah. And that's a that's a, a healthy and humbling thing for me to recall. Yeah, you you're, you got that wind, uh, and and typically, you've you know minorities have the the wind going against them. They're going against the wind. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that wind is stronger than others. Just depends on the environment. Yeah. You know, my 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 parents and my uncles and that generation, uh, you know, same generation as you, Nate. Yeah. Uh, they they were able to work their way out of poverty as as yourself. However, it, my assumption is that their grind was a little bit more intense than yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, it yeah. doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't right. make you racist. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it, this, yeah. It's just, that's just a the great, reality of the environment. Yeah. That is a great full circle spot for us to wrap up because what it yeah. makes us is privileged. Yeah. That, yeah. that we've had advantages that we're not even aware of. Yeah. And I don't need to feel guilty about that, but I should be aware of it. Thank you very much. There you go. That's it. That's right. right. All right. Well, Mondo, thanks, brother. And I, and I mean, brother, yeah. like in a Christian way, not, uh, yeah, not, so, not, so <laughs> not, 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 <laughs> you know, throw up your fist to me. <laughs> this is, this is so too brother. fun to have a podcast where we can throw that uh, kind of stuff out. I hope, I hope it's shocking. Oh yeah, man. I love it. I love it, man. <laughs> you know, it, you know, I, I invite these conversations. So, you know, the guys that are listening, gals are listening, you know, I'm always open to talk on a one-on-one basis. I think they're healthy conversations. Uh, it's not combative. It is not argumentative. It is, I think it's healthy conversation to understand where we all come from and where we're all, and put our lenses on and to learn from one another. I think it's very healthy and it's actually, it's a lot of fun if you, if you really embrace it. So 
So, uh, listeners, if you have questions that were brought up, uh, whether you are black or white or Hispanic, uh, send them in. We'll get Mondo and Kajanga back and answer your questions or thoughts that you might not feel comfortable asking. We would love to ask uncomfortable questions uh, to yeah. our friends on the podcast. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, yeah. So send send us your questions and uh, we will make sure to do it. In fact, yeah, there you go. So yeah. we're out of time. Yeah. With questions, comments, part. pushback, whatever. Send it to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. There we go. All right, and we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Pirate Monk podcast with the prince of the awkward conversation, the man who was going to wade deep into uh, into waters that others fear to tread. Thank you for for leading that conversation, for setting that up, for that arranging is, it. That is so funny. I just don't even, I guess that's why I'm Admiral Awkward. I don't see how any of that was awkward. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did, like, do you really think that was awkward? Well, I do think that uh, there's not going to be a lot of competition out there in the podcast universe for conversations like this one. Wow. Well, I love both those guys, uh, two of my favorite dudes in the world. Mm, and I'm so glad yeah. that they got to. Uh, I, I hope this was even an example of how to have a conversation. Yeah, I think but, it was. But also, I mean, this came out of friendships. Yeah. So I can ask Kajanga or Mondo <laughs> absolutely anything yeah. uh, without fear. And yeah. So yeah. That, that's because they're my friends. And Mondo, they're they're both unique. They would have that conversation with anybody. But sure. other people aren't wired like that. And it does take actual friendships. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Anyways, good stuff. I'm excited for our next uh, segment of this because we are both white, but we're also male. And so next time we're going to have a couple ladies explaining what we don't understand uh, comes from our possession of peni. Is, is, that the, is that the plural of penis? Peni? Peni, I guess. I guess. All right. But we're privileged in that way, too, somehow. I don't right. know. And then I, after that, we're going to do what? Presbyterian privilege? Are we going to do that? No, because we're white and we're male and you and I are both straight. So we're going to have a couple uh, gay friends on here explaining to us how we are privileged because not only do we have peni, but we are straight. So we're going to okay. we're going to run the gambit of awkwardness. I hope I hope we just get deeper and deeper and it will be my delight. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, until next time, then, I'm Nate. 
I'm Aaron. And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Awkward. (laughs) I think it's time now. Ties that held us.